welcome to the Web Policy Talk podcast recorded live at the Impact and Policy Research Institute Impri New Delhi ഡൽഹി and gender impact studies center of um, impri as such so uh, we have um, a very eminent um, in academician with us uh, dr bijalakshmi nanda uh, who is the acting principal of miranda house i think uh, she needs no introduction um, you know and uh, the topic that we have chosen today is something on which um, Vijayalakshmi has really worked uh, for last many years she is a well known uh, feminist academician and um, you know um, in fact uh, you know i must share that um, i have a book uh, of hers a recent book of hers uh, which i can just show the cover will be shown further it's called the sex selective abortion in the state and this was presented to me by uh, the late dr meetu khurana and why it gets yeah this book i'm talking about why it gets more poignant is that uh, you know um, today we don't have mithu karana we lost her this year and i begin uh, from the preface of the book where um, dr bijalakshmi nanda has quoted um, you know uh, mithu saying that more than 7 years have passed since i stepped out to get justice from the courts of india i was tortured and tormented by my husband and marital family for bearing daughters i have however had the most bizarre response from the highest quarters the bureaucracy the doctors and the judiciary feel that when a woman resorts to a legal recourse she is actually misusing the law we have beti bachao beti padhao a flagship program of the prime minister but when it comes to the crux of the protecting and promoting women and girls who are alive there is a deficit of trust i am alive and i saved my daughters by not allowing sex selective abortion sex determination of my fetuses were illegally done and i was rejected and abandoned for having daughters but as long as i am alive and my daughters are alive we are not the ideal victims we will never be considered as the daughters of india who are to be saved for that we should first be dead what prophetic words we had from meetu and she passed away this uh, 19th of march 2020 and all the courts of uh, india especially delhi the lower courts and uh, the high court and supreme court of india failed meetu karana the first pcpnd case in the country and um, about who uh, meetu in fact uh bijayashmi nanda has also done fantastic uh, a thorough research she spoke to uh, meetu and got testimonies from her also maybe she will be sharing that as well but the, prop, the but the issue that um, you know uh, today dr bijayashmi nanda is talking about is so relevant about the child sex ratio the declining child sex ratio 
and it's important that we discuss it today as one of the biggest gender gaps that's um, staring in our faces. Um, just to introduce uh, Dr. Vijayalakshmi Nanda, uh, she's an um, you know, acting principal uh, at Miranda House. She teaches political theory and gender studies in Miranda House, Delhi University. She is a feminist activist and researcher. She has provided consultancy to various UN bodies on gender issues and has extensively traveled the world over in connection with her academic pursuits. She is widely published and some of her academic writings include co-authored Human Rights, Gender and Environment and co-edited Understanding Social Inequality, Concerns of Human Rights, Gender and Environment. Uh, her forthcoming co-edited book, Discourse on Rights in India, Debates and Dilemmas is under publication. So um, without taking much time, uh, we also have uh, Govind Ji with us. With us. So uh, before I just pass it on to uh, Dr. Vijayalakshmi Nanda, in fact, Govindji, uh, if you can also share a few things you know, about the importance of this topic, uh, because Govindji has been one uh, person who has been in the women's movement. I have seen uh, over the 80s, you know, since the 80s actually, and she has uh, been our mentor as well. So Govindji, over to you, and then we'll have Vijayalakshmi talking about it. Yeah, Govindji. Thank you for this brief introduction, very general yes, words. I'm good evening. You joined at very right time. <laughs> just started. <laughs> I was trying to figure out something, sorry, that in the meeting afterwards. So um, I would, I have not really worked on uh, in terms of the research, but what I have observed off and on, I work on discrimination in such. And I have looked at India and China with regard to when Amartya Sen wrote uh, uh, for the first time Missing Women, and that was the Human Development Report in the 90s. So we looked at who were these missing women. So that was the one thing that I, I was really intrigued by what is happening and to what extent the discrimination can go. Later, as the time went, I think we are all familiar with this, that um, the government survey shows that, uh, which I think Dr. Nanda will very well um, uh, illustrate, uh, that um, in 2015 and 17, the number of girls per thousand males declined to 896. From 898 in 2014-16 to 900 in 2013-15, so you can see the steady decline since the turn of the century. In fact, it is the recent data, but if you look at since 21, 1921, then you find the number has been declining. So, and Haryana where uh, we are located, it is kind of the worst performing state with the, all this kind of slogan of Beti Bada, uh, Bachao, what is it? Beti Padhao, Beti Bachao. That is the kind of uh, this thing. So, and other uh, fact that uh, really surprised me is, is still surprises that urban India is worse than rural, in, uh, rural India. So with literacy, with economic well-being, things do not improve as is the, we have the, our common perception that it is the poverty that causes the problem and if the parents are not poor, then things would be okay. <coughs> Uh, India's sex ratio is worse than slightly, uh, worse than I think, uh, slightly better than China, but that doesn't know consolation and Pakistan. But uh, these are the two emerging economies. 
in Asia and make a kind of headlines every now and then in IMF, World Bank, and look at the kind of women's ratio that is going. So it is not only the non-discrimination, decision-making, this and that, but physical elimination of the women. That is, that is cause of concern. Women are bought like cattle uh, for purposes of marriage, for purposes of future generation. I mean, India buys, for example, Haryana buys from Bihar, this anecdotal evidence they all suggest. China buys, was buying from Vietnam. So similar kind of situation. And then who is the more productive kind of uh, woman? So probably the uh, cost would be higher for the uh, girls from Kerala and Andhra Pradesh. And these are the poor women who bought and sold. So it is really the human rights abuse and the murders that in our civilized uh, uh, families that are nurturing families that are taking place or nurturing households. And that's why I have a serious critique agreeing more with Engels when we say that family and, uh, and state has to wither away because of this kind of nature. Now the question is, what are the reasons? In my understanding, that uh, two things come up. First thing, uh, Education and technology has not helped us in this regard. It is the change in the gender norms that are going to help. So disempowerment of women. So that's why we talk of empowerment of women. Actually, the economic and non-economic disempowerment of women is the main reason for this kind of thing. In a very soft term, we say sun preference, and which is a fact also. But the question is the sun preference, as if they are sun preference, do you eliminate hmm, the other, other sex? And of course, uh, it is not the binary of the sex we are talking about. If you go to the third gender, and that is the trans people, then there it is the worst kind of thing. But we are not talking about the trans people, how they are thrown out of their families, what happens, and uh, so on and so forth. That is uh, so. Discrimination is one, right, starting from the family and going in the society. Anti-female bias in our cultures and social norms. And these social norms are very kind of masculine. And uh, women are seen as the objects of pleasure. I mean, we are full with kind of every day, read the paper and there is hardly any day which will not have the stories of rapes and gang rapes and attacks on women, killing of the wives, killing of uh, girls. Um, how they are subservient to men, but you have to be subservient to men, any woman, because if she wants to live in the house, she's quite resourceless. So studies on poverty, studies on housing also indicates that there is a rational in the getting rid of the female child. That is the, this rational, however inhuman maybe, but it is very in economic terms, as I also see. They are resourceless, they are poor, unable to take care of parents, carry on the lineage, except in Meghalaya, where the girls carry the name and the land and the lineage in the family's name, which is a matrilineal society. Throughout India, even now in Kerala, it is the boys who would kind of carry the name of the family. And since carrying the name of the family is such a big thing has become, that although these, all these Delhi and South Delhi, which is the worst kind of affected, they are sitting in US and UK. But the, even then, notionally, it is son, that son would carry the name of the 
a family, so that's why daughters don't count. Patrilocal marriage. China once attempted, and that history taught me, uh, I mean, I've been a student of China's political economy, that um, when they tried to address at one time in early 70s, that question of uh, the treatment of the girls in their system, then they said, end the patrilocal marriage. Uh, a lot of problems start. And we see this problem in Meghalaya, in our state of Meghalaya, which is matrilineal, which is not patrilocal marriage. Patrilocal marriage means the girl goes to the, after marriage to the husband's kind of place. And where she has to adopt herself, <coughs> in all the way as her home. And the real clash starts on that. They don't have any inheritance rights. Um, only change came in 2005, as late as 2005. And the poorly implemented, uh, very poor implementation of this law, Hindu Succession Amendment Act. So they are seen as the liability on the society. And that is that really, and you want to get rid of the liability and want to promote the those who produce. So um, in economic and social norms, both combine against them. And then this inhuman practice develops. I will not really uh, talk but what um, long, but what bothers me is really control on women's labor, body, sexuality in the male system. I grew up in a village in Uttar Pradesh. <coughs> and I remember my mother would say and justify, if a woman, a widowed woman or single woman got um, pregnant, then there were only two kind of uh, recourse for her. Either the family would kill her or she would be, she, would, she has to commit suicide. Uh, these things are still ring in my ears, kind of thing that how, what kind of control on the sexuality? Motherhood is the right of the woman. It's a natural right. But see how it is controlled. The reason I'm bringing the motherhood in order to see the control in this kind of control of the situation, how women are uh, and girls are eliminated. I think I don't know what could help. I have spent all my life in education, but I find education really doesn't help much. Which is because what kind of education we get, that depends on that. I mean, sometimes we, we do get uh, trauma with the, these cases, which I got. I also learned from after education, unlearned the whole thing. But what we see in educated society and um, uh, particularly meeting the young people, young men in particular, who resist the sharing of the property like anything. These are the brothers who resist uh, the sharing of property with, the, uh, with sisters. So what would really help, first thing is the economic right. Right to housing, right to property. And the government and the policy are going in circles and not addressing the problem. They are only treat women as individuals when they have the right to vote. And uh, if it is, comes to the land question, if it comes to the property question, then everything gets into head of the household. And we know who is the head of the household in social norms, in poverty analysis, it is always the male who is the head of the household. Mobility, don't have the freedom. Why women can't talk, can't walk at eight o'clock at the dark of the night? Who they are afraid of? And who, the, who is being protected by whom? It is the young men, I was discussing when, <coughs> this afternoon with my uh, research assistant, 
that uh, uh, I said, are you, he says, I'm worried about my sister once she comes, I have to protect her and she's working in Abu Dhabi. So I said, you are protecting your sister against whom? And then he thinks over it and he says, well, people like me, I mean that of my age, then he explained. And then he surprised, he got into this controversy and I also discussed this often with my student. I said, we are not protecting them against animals. We are really protecting them with other so-called civilized people. So freedom of mobility is very, very important. The so-called the safest places for women. Freedom to grow and make decisions for young girls and older girls. Uh, thank you, Sylvie. And addressing social gendered norms. This is the crux of the problem. The gendered norms and social norms or social gendered norms or society gendered norms really influence policies and even if the policies are passed <coughs> or made, they are not implemented because this happens in our culture. What is this kind of mystified culture? And we are proud of our culture that makes us like this. So these are some of the things that are really could help in terms of curbing this kind of violence against, uh, which happens to a girl child, feticide, infanticide, I mean, all come for in the, in the age group of zero to six years is the worst thing that is for women. <coughs> Thank you. So I don't know what you wanted me to say. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I think... But I thought I'll, uh, on a special yeah. question, we will go later. But Absolutely. I just wanted to share my thoughts on this. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Govindji. I think for sharing, um, you know, the entire issue comprehensively. Uh, so we would move now to uh, Dr. Bijalakshmi Nanda. And after that, of course, um, you know, we'll have other people joining us. Plus, the, you know, people who are watching this can pose the questions and all. So, Dr. Bijalakshmi Nanda, over to you. for that generous introduction and also the introduction, the, uh, the main ideas that were shared by Professor Kalkelkar. I think we have already set the tone for what we are going to discuss today. I would also like to thank the organizers, Dr. Arjun Kumar, Imbri. Now, what I am going to do now in the course of this discussion that we are going to put, uh, you know, in the next 20 minutes that I discuss, I'm going to also examine uh, the two things. One is looking at the policy environment, uh, not just of Beti Bacha, Beti Padha, because that is recent. But I think when you're looking at declining child sex ratio, we are looking at uh, an issue that has been there, uh, if I may say so, from the 1980s. So I'm going to be engaging a little bit of the historical context and looking at policy from a historical perspective, not just from a contemporary perspective. Historical meaning contemporary history, of course. So having said that, uh, along with you, Induji, and, uh, and our members here, I would like to dedicate this discussion to my dear friend. I would never call her late because she reverberates yes. in both of us to Mitu Khurana, to Dr. Mitu Khurana, and her beautiful daughters who are here with us as a part of her. I dedicate this to her. I dedicate, it, dedicate everything that I'm saying to her because I've learned everything from her journey and her battle. It is sad that we have lost her, but we haven't lost what she gave us, which is that, that she is the first complainant under the PCPNDT Act. And she's a mother who saved her daughters, who was able to fight this battle with her marital family with all the forces that were against her and her daughters are now 15 years. So I think in a way it is a celebration of life. It's very sad that she's not here with us 
on this physical plane but she continues to be with us forever i hope till we are here so in that light i will go to my presentation i hope you can see the presentation can you sorry sorry i don't think uh, i'm sorry i'm sorry i think i need to share the screen yeah share the screen yes, yeah. Can you? Yes. Can you see it now? Yes. 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 So what I'm going to look at. What's wrong? Ma'am, can you hear us? Vijayalakshmi, I I hope you have not muted yourself. Jalakshmi, I hope you're not muted yourself. You'd unmute yourself to present it. I think the video has froze, sir. Huh? Uh, just give her a call, right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah just give her a call. Yeah. She has got out. I guess some internet issue. Oh my God! Oh, technology at times, you know, can create all kinds of complications. Yeah, but anyway, I think you know. Uh, yes. Is she back? No, I'll coordinate, sir. I think okay. Okay. Professor yeah. Kelkar can also give some uh, on the topic. Ritika, if you can bring on the screen. No. You know, no. I think one second, one second. What what I would want to do is, you know, I can just share here, you know, about uh, Dr. Meetu Khurana. Uh, you know okay. that uh, that both me and uh, Bijalakshmi were very close to, and um, for the last about uh, you know um, five six years, you know that I was in touch with Meetu. Uh, you know, um, and I must tell you that you know I think uh, she she fought the case. She was totally dedicated and committed on this entire issue. and as even dr bijalakshmi spoke about you know she saved her two daughters and the daughters today are 15 years old and imagine for these two daughters the mother is no more so they are with their grandparents with the maternal grandparents nana and nani and uh, you know uh, so it's a, it's a struggle for these two young two young girls very bright young girls you know um, and uh, and meetu used to tell us when she was there that induji i want to be alive for my daughters and what a tragedy that when it came you know to just being you know there she is no more and uh, due to certain medical uh, issues she had lots of complications and we lost her this year but she was one uh, person who was a fighter you know right from the lower courts to high court to supreme court i think uh, she kept filing cases and uh, we have lot of advocate friends who were supporting me too You know, whether it was um, you know um, Anu Narula, it was Indra Uni Nair, uh, you know, or whoever. In fact, we had once gone met even Prashant Bhushan uh, to take the matter to the Supreme Court as such. But uh, as it is, I think you know we um, we are sorry to have uh, lost Meetu, and I must I think many times she would say that Induji, please come to uh, the court, and uh, you know I must share here that the way these uh, family court judges. who themselves women used to treat meetu in the court 
she was unwell she couldn't walk properly but this judge would call her to the court and make her sit from morning till afternoon she had you know a drip in her hand and she was made to sit in the court so she actually when she's mentioning that she was tortured actually she was tortured by everybody by her family that's the husband's family by uh, the courts as such so in a way uh, you know what she mentioned that until mali is dead will not get justice i think uh, the sorry state of affairs in this country is that she is no more and uh, justice still is not been done to her and uh, but surely i think she uh, gives us the commitment to uh, take the entire issue ahead you know so we are not going to give in like that we have friends like bijay lakshmi and all i suppose you know i think that would be something which um, you know uh, i think empowers all of us to fight for these issues because these are our issues you know this is not one girl's issue or one woman's issue these are our issues you know against patriarchy so um, that is what i want to share use this opportunity you know until bijay lakshmi joins us arjun any idea are we getting bijay lakshmi at the moment um uh, the uh, thank you sir yeah. maybe uh, i would like to just uh, pose a few quick you know comments uh, to what professor kelkar uh, just said in her opening remarks in the yeah. meantime if uh, professor nanda joins in uh, ma'am you said that um, uh, you know uh, you mentioned about the declining child sex ratio okay uh, okay. I think sorry, sorry. Uh, no okay okay go ahead go ahead ma'am i'll Unfortunately, I'm in charge of the admission, so all the matter is, uh, you know, you're so sorry. I'll just share my screen again. Yeah, 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 yeah. We lost you. Then we started just discussing about me too. I discussed about me too as such more in detail. And you did that because I think she needed that space and not directly yes. to my presentation. No, 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 no. Presentation is crucial, you know. I think so. We'll talk about more about her later. Yeah. I'm trying to share the screen again, but I'm not able to. where is my presentation just yeah. just one minute just one Take a minute to open the screen, and uh, if any, okay. Uh, you, you, if you have a problem, you can also maybe email it to uh, um, you know Arjun and all. I, I, I was able to manage it fine. I'll just go back to it again, and here you go. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Okay, I'm. Uh, I think now it's open. I'll go back. I'm sorry for taking this time. No, no, not an issue, Bijalakshmi. Not an issue. Okay. Uh, so I'll try to share the screen now, uh, and uh, let me then. Okay. Yes, it's coming. Yes, come, come. It's come. Please go ahead now, Bijalakshmi. Please go ahead. 
So uh, I'm going to take you through kind of looking not just at policy, but looking at the dilemmas of feminist politics in dealing with policy, because I think that's important. And uh, Professor Kelkar has already set the context. So I'll begin with what is very, very, you know, it's, it's something that all of us understand. One is that justice is hard. It demands our devotion as well as our understanding. For that reason, it must grip our emotions. We must feel its absence and presence with the depth of feelings that we associate with love. This is something that Joshua Cohen says. So while we are discussing about the declining child sex ratio, we are actually talking about families, like Professor Kelker very clearly said, this is not about son preference, but as Mary John and others have said, it is about daughter aversion. And then there is Maria Mais who said, in order to understand a thing, one must change it. But how would one change this? And while we are looking at beginning, I think from Amartya Sen talking about the 100 million missing women, we have, this is a cover of The Economist talking about what it say, calls gendercide. What happened to 100 million baby girls, thereby referring to the declining child sex ratio in India. However, again, uh, there is something that we need to discuss here in terms of language, in terms of how feminist politics looks at the idea of gendercide, why we need to engage with the concept, not just from the point of view of uh, violence, but for also from the point of view of discrimination. Why for me, discrimination is no operative word here. Now, let us take a look uh, at sex ratios and there's, there's something about Madhya Pradesh. Yeah, this is just adult sex ratio that we are looking at. And clearly, I mean, uh, we are all aware this is the 2011 census. And that is the last census that has taken place. There would be one in 2021. But I believe that that would be late. Now, this is the sex ratio. And I am not using, you know, uh, the, the, uh, the statistics that have come about later, which is now. 2015-16 that uh, Professor Kelker was referring to, which is uh, which is about the SRB, the sex ratio at birth, or uh, or or I mean I mean they are showing decline very clearly, but this is the more uh, relevant data for us because the decadal census looks at the zero to six age group, thereby taking care of any forms of under enumeration, any kinds of other criticality that is there in the data. So you are looking at a decline which is 919 in 2011. Now, having said that, there are many ways in which it has been referred to. You have talked about female feticide. We've talked about sex selective abortion. Some of us say uh, pre-birth elimination of females. Some say son preference. The others are saying daughter aversion. The terrain of the language and, uh, and many of us are, see it as gender biased sex selection. That uh, we are looking at the disposability and the dispensability of women and girls even before they are born. And that is coming in from an attitude, not just of son preference, but of daughter aversion, and we need to engage with it closely. Now, uh, again, I think one of the things that Professor Kelker has talked, and Indu, you have also mentioned, is around the idea of the fact that women have control over their bodies and that reproductive rights is, are not just about giving birth. It is not just about motherhood but that there is a freedom of choice in reproductive matters and that it is essential for all of us, whatever gender we belong to, to map the course of one's life. Yet we still have uncertainty about it, you know, the way in which it goes around. Now, if you take a look at the state and global discourse, there is a discourse around this idea, the idea of sex selective abortion 
or or gender discrimination in terms of uh, uh, you know in terms of the fact that girls are not even allowed to be born that's the idea right the 100 million missing women of course for amartya sen written in the 1990s talked also about adults adult women you know it talks about all the missing women in south asia but when we are looking at uh, you know in the present context we are only looking at 0 to 6 and 0 to 6 we are therefore looking at what we call sex selection which is that even before conception you are using new reproductive technologies in order to bring about the preferred uh, you know uh, 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 the fertility choice or whatever is being made in a in an atmosphere of reproductive technologies intervention so what has been the discourse there is one discourse of equality which you and i are talking about that there should be no discrimination there should be no violence girls boys and any other gender should be treated equally or it is a question of of uh, demography and a demographic meaning that it is a question of correcting numbers and the global discourse if you take a look back at the gender side uh, you know picture on the economist that again looks at the idea of numbers then the other idea that that is there in the state and global discourse is crime versus justice crime here refers to the fact that this is a criminal you know act and the act of you know terminating female fetuses even before they are born and that is why it is necessary to see it from the point of view of law or is it about justice substantive justice something that you know you and i uh, induji have talked about that this is about substantive justice not just about the implementation of an act but going beyond that and then looking at whether it is a question of rights whether bodily labor uh, you know work whether right to property all of those rights these to be or is it a question of ethics is it about just about the human rights uh, basis around around the ideas of uh, ethics so that is something that i'm doing now now here i look at the policy response continuum yes there is a declining child sex ratio in india the the numbers we have we have shown you in the 0 to 6 coming to a 919 the lowest since uh, 1981 to present day and you you are also looking and maybe the 2021 or maybe 22 when we will get to know will show us again lowering of numbers or perhaps improvement in certain areas because of certain policies so what are the policies one is you take a look at policy response continuum in two ways a supply side and a demand side the supply side is the presence of new reproductive technologies and all of us are aware that these new reproductive technologies whether it is cryonic vilius biopsy which had come in or it is ultrasound that is there presently but they are mainly for health reasons in order to detect the you know congenital abnormalities but in india the congenital abnormalities turned out to be that the fetus is female and therein came in the act the pndt the prenatal diagnostic techniques act which later on is uh, you know got amended in 2000 this came out in 94 and then i think it uh, it came into process in 96 but the pc pndt act came about in uh, 2002 when when preconception was added so you were not only looking at sex selective abortion but you were looking at uh, sex selection which is that you were looking at, uh, at at it at the preconception stage so even that was added and the women's movement was active in this front and the state and uh, through a certain collaborative process this particular law was given to us and the law is very much there and it is part of your beti bachao beti padhao the beti bachao beti padhao which is a tri ministerial you know kind of uh, 
uh, policy uh, does have one which is the implementation of the pcp ndt act looking at girl child education and looking at the larger context of equal opportunities the other part is the demand side the supply side is coming in from doctors from uh, from alternative medical practitioners uh, or the business uh, the kind of you know the kind of corporate uh, you know bodies that are creating all these uh, technologies the demand side is coming in from families and that is the most disturbing thing because you are looking at gender discrimination no matter for how long we have been shouting it out from the rooftops that that this discrimination needs to end but it continues unabated so here you have uh, from you know the policy statements concerning women and girls women's empowerment program schemes financial incentive schemes i'm not going to be talking on beti bachao beti padhao but the earlier schemes that had looked at it and other laws that exert so this is how the policy response continuum has been again i come to what is the feminist idea and uh, how do you engage with the idea of pregnancy and and how pregnancy or the reproductive body has been seen for for feminists for others to kind of look at and this idea that that in fact what is considered to be most natural most uh, you know this is a struggle that women have had that how you look at matin uh, you know the maternal healthcare crisis in india where you look at how women have to survive their own pregnancies and what are the various issues related to that and we can open up that in the discussion that takes place but that is a very important part now i take a look at how does the policy look at women and how has been the state's gaze at women uh, looking at some things that rajeshwari sundarajan and others have done that the state uh, if you take a look at the policies and laws either it is about them being litigants or supplicants or them being activists or them being victims or they are beneficiaries so that is how they have seen it now what has been the feminist engagement with the state one is that the feminists when they have worked on issues around declining child sex ratio it has in the 1980s when violence against women was seen this was one of the major kind of campaigns you looked at confrontationist ways of doing it so you had your protests you had your questions that were being raised or you had a reformist way where they worked closely uh, with the state in order to reform in order to engage with finding a way forward or it was a cooperative one where you kind of uh, looked at uh, the issues uh, which uh, which we could do together the law being one the law came in not just by the state directly but by the civil society and others then a collaborationist approach and these were the ways in which we moved forward now there came in the dilemmas of feminist politics one is should we go with a law or should we go outside the law when it comes to declining child sex ratio and since this is the engagement that the policy center that you have here research is around that whether it should be a pro life discourse or whether it should be a pro choice discourse whether women should be seen as active agents or passive victims whether we should look at monetary incentives or whether we should look at a rights based approach whether it should be within the state policy within that or should we look at uh, resolutions outside the state and these are some of the dilemmas that feminist politics has looked at the first dilemma is with or law or outside the law some feminists emphasize on the creation of laws while others believe laws may themselves become a site of gender discrimination since they reinforce power relations and may increase bureaucratic control and you do have people like agnes uh, flavia agnes uh, ratna kapoor menon talking about it 
Now, uh, this is a very important learning and I, I'm going to open it up later on when we have a discussion, uh, it, a more in-depth way that how do you look at the law and whether the law has helped us and I will come to Mithu's case when I do that. The other is whether we should look about a pro-life or a pro-choice. Now, when you take a look at, uh, you know, every time there, are, there is a discussion around uh, sex selective abortion or, or around declining child sex ratio, you, there, is, there are various competitions, uh, which is the order of the day that you ask young people to reflect on it. Most of the time, these are the kind of uh, presentations that come in. So it is almost as if uh, it, is, it, it is a pro-life discourse and the mother is pitted against the child. So if you take a look at some of the presentations here, it is more or less around a very, very pro-life. And here I'm not using pro-life in terms of, uh, you know, in the way it has been hijacked, because I agree that all of us are pro-life. But in the way it is seen, that the fetal life against the women's life and whether it should be a pro-choice discourse. And this is a very important understanding that we need to develop. Because many times uh, this is what leads to a problem when it comes to feminist politics, because feminist politics has engaged with this issue from a pro-choice perspective, where it has looked at women's rights to reproductive, uh, you know, in a, in a reproductive way to look at empowered and informed choices. And it is not just about fetal rights, but the right of the girl child to be born and not seeing women and girls as binaries seeing them in a, in a continuum, looking at the life cycle approach. So a gender discrimination beginning from birth and right down you know, to death, that is the kind of continuum that you're looking at. So that kind of a life cycle approach is, is very, very important. And most of this is a very, very you know, significant dilemma that we need to look at. This is an experiment and I think it's important for some of us to look at this. This was Nawaz Shahar. In, the 19, in 2001, it was the worst sex ratio. It, was, it had the worst sex ratio in Punjab. And this is Krishna Kumar, who was the then, uh, you know, the deputy commissioner or the, or, or, you know, like the collector, district collector, as you would say. And he was running a very, very important, very strong campaign there in order to bring about a certain change in the declining child sex ratio. However, you know, most people felt that what he did was that he started monitoring pregnancies of women which led to pressures on them and it hampered their privacy. And uh, there was a whole lot of pressures on the families in which if it was found out that for some reason certain abortions had taken place and this led to an element of coercion, fear, it limited rights of women without really, I mean, he, he did this with a missionary Z. He, was, he, he did it with great enthusiasm, but somewhere the message went out to the community in a different sort of way and this led to a problem. To be fair, it was one of the most proactive uh, you know, campaign. And it did bring about a change in the statistics that happened. And he moved away to, to other posts. And then that particular campaign died. However, you know, the sustainability is, becomes an issue of great campaigns. At the same time, when it comes to policies, there is always a delicate balance that needs to be done between fetal rights and women's rights. That's an important one. The, this third dilemma, and this is where I bring in Meetu, is whether women should be seen as active agents or they are passive victims of this particular you know phenomenon where you know the child sex ratio is, is being so this is mitu my dear friend uh, mitu as some of us here know was a doctor who had two twin daughters she was forced by her family her marital family to go in for uh, sex uh, determination and then for sex selective abortion uh, and she refused to all of that she moved out 
and she moved in back to her natal family she was able to protect her daughters and she was able to fight with the law with which this was much i think it was much earlier the 2000 uh, early 2000s uh, when she i think 2005 2006 when she started but and we were all hoping that she would get justice however that did not happen and this was a very long journey and uh, you know she continued she lodged a complaint but what was happening is it was not just about the law which was very carefully made it was a comprehensive piece of legislation but implementing authorities you know the bureaucratic uh, the system that that is there they were they also have the same mindset and that mindset comes from society so there was that problem that always occurred and we had to engage with a number of authorities where it was very difficult for us to explain because the first thing they would say is her daughters are alive what's the problem she should just get back with her husband the fact that this discrimination had happened to her and that it needed to be looked at from the point of view of the pcpndt act which actually talks against sex determination that somehow seemed to miss uh, you know in, in the judicial kind of understanding that was that was missing out and it was very difficult many times mithu had become an authority on the law herself and she would engage with the legal system and tell them and we received a lot of discrimination at every level so this was something that i thought i should in the right set now the other dilemma is that uh, in the early times not with beti bachao beti padha but in the early early times when 2001 and 2011 uh the main thing that used to happen is that you started bringing about a lot of monetary incentives uh, and the monetary incentives uh, ladli lakshmi these were the kind of incentives that were there and the, they were actually conditional cash transfers where you gave out a particular cash transfer to the families by thereby you know kind of trying to increase the value of the girl child through that and uh, it it was seen you know the, the conditional cash transfer taken from you know mexico and uh, brazil and other places progressa bolsa familia was basically to boost human and social capital but in india we had so many and i'm just going to run you through the slides and you can take a look at it later however the problem with this is that uh, i mean whether it would really bring about and whether it would enhance the daughter's uh, worth and uh, i think there was a there's a interesting statement by john dres where he said that uh, you know by paying families to keep their daughters maybe we are reinforcing stereotypes that they are liabilities then again since i did a study of the ladli scheme uh, one found out that it did not really change much at the very end and we need to look at inclusion and exclusion and how do you engage with that and i'll quickly do that uh, here clearly so we looked at aspirations for uh, for education or marriage and uh, when we asked the beneficiaries they said many of them said that we would send it because you know by 80 years they would get that particular scheme the ladli scheme and uh, they said that we would spend it on us on our weddings and that became one of the things and many many of these schemes actually get, came to be called dahej schemes and my study revealed that uh, sex selective abortion or gender biased sex selection was happening having a ladli ladli scheme or having a certain 1 lakh of that scheme that led to some of them uh, you know weighing it and they looked at the second born daughter but it started weakening in the next order and uh, it was not addressing the core issues of gender discrimination and there was also this idea among even amongst the young girls that the only time we are going to be celebrated is our marriage and we they did see it as a significant marker of status and self worth and while some tra cash transfer brought in a sense of security 
their bargaining power, the increased voice within community did not happen. Now I come to the fifth dilemma. Should we go with the state or without the state? Should we only try to find solutions within? And herein I bring in the case study of the two-child norm. This is my study of Odisha. So here in Odisha, there was a two-child norm for the Panchayati Raj. And uh, uh, women who were trying to participate always found themselves outside. Uh, uh, you know, they were not able to enter into the Panchayati Raj system because of this imposition of the two-child norm. Some of you may know it. And here I'm using a case study of a lady there called Bimala. She and her husband were very active with local issues, but she was not able to participate or uh, contest for the local elections because she, the state had a two-child norm. And uh, that two-child norm uh, made it difficult for her to do so. And she did raise some questions that I have three daughters, but I am being penalized. And many studies have been done to show that these kind of norms work against women's, women's rights to participate in Panjaiti Raj and other places because it leads either to rejection and abandonment of women because they are part of uh, that particular, you know, they are already in that uh, age when, when they have already had children and uh, larger families or, uh, or and, the, and the men who want to participate would rather not be associated or it leads to sex selective abortion. They would rather, you know, uh, have two, two sons or, or, or one daughter, one son. And then this is how it impacts. So this is also something that the state, this kind of a, you know, the contradiction between two kinds of policies, one policy which says, let us improve the sex ratio, another policy which, uh, which uh, brings about an imposition of a coercive population policy that leads to, that acts to the detriment of women and girls. Now I come to the last bit of what I'm going to talk here. So what should we do then if this is how it is? What are the ways in which we can engage? And I'm going through, and these are of course theoretical uh, perspectives, but I'm looking at how do you link, bring about a linkage with rights and entitlements? Do you look at capabilities approach? Do you need to look at social protection with broader development efforts? And something that, you know, do we need to look at intersectionality? or a kind of a, you know, the feminist uh, dilemmas, can we come together on one point and then move backwards? So that, that's something that I can. Now, this is something that the UNFP has, uh, has given us, uh, where they say that you need to look at assets, the three A's of tackling daughter aversion. Assets, where you, women can earn, they can own, they can inherit, so you can look at property rights, you can look at policies that improve their financial standing, employment, tax, credit, all of it. Or you could enhance their autonomy, look at their power, their choices, safety, mobility, all of that. Another area which, you know, places like you mentioned, uh, China, of course, but the two the one child norm there worked so badly against uh, and to the detriment of women and girls. So in South Korea, they were able to turn it around because they looked at access to social protection for women. How children cannot be the only source of support and whether the policy response should be to ensure social care. And this is a very important, uh, you know, significant debate that needs to be part of the policy discourse presently. So what do we need to do? Of course, now if you take a look at the Beti Bachao, Beti Padhao, uh, you know, campaign or, or the program, it very much, it has come in with, with some of the contradictions that we had noted with the Ladley scheme. It does bring about a tri ministerial, you know, kind of a, there's no compartmentalization. We are looking at health. We are looking at all the various resources that are there, whether it's education, not so much to employability, but really engaging with all of that. So how do you, 
you know, look at it. So you need to go forward. You need to have social protection uh, schemes, which should have a look at a proactive role of the state and realize also that the state may not always be a benevolent representative of public good. We can also struggle for what our uh, needs are, how do you allocate that, and how the marginalized can raise these questions of inclusion. And uh, it's not to st stop with the state, whether it should also look at the non-Western cultures only and say that, oh, it is only India. And that's why I have a problem with the economist, uh, you know, uh, kind of a uh, thing by saying that these missing women are all from India or from South Asia, that uh, whether we need to look at it at, as a transactional cycles of gender vulnerability, because new reproductive technologies are not coming from India. They are also coming from all over the world. The US, for example, has played a major role in bringing about a lot of, a lot of new reproductive technologies. So has China, so has you know, different places where they have been, and also big corporate giants, even Google and others have played a role in this. So how do you look at this? Is it not everyone's responsibility to see to it that women and girls are not discriminated at any level. And this is not a cultural context only. And we need to look beyond that. And how do you look beyond that is a question that we need to, uh, you know, uh, talk about. And uh, these are my, you know, generic statements. And I have tried to bring together all that is there to the dilemmas of feminist politics. I can in the question, because it's, it's, a, it's a longish thing, I don't want to talk anymore. But if there is a question around the, the distinction, two distinctions that I want to point out. One is the, the binary distinction between save the girl child and not engaging with women's rights. That's number one. Number two, engaging with the idea of uh, sex selection and, and abortion. Because the dilemma of feminist politics on this issue, why they have moved away, Induji, why you, I, and a group of us are still talking about sex-selective abortion, why Mithu on, on the, on, on a, on, in a large way did not receive the kind of support that she was yes. looking for. What is that dilemma? It is, it is definitely a dilemma. But how do you engage with that? These are some of the things that we need to look at, that it is very difficult for for the for feminist politics to work on sex selective abortion because there is an overlap over the right to abortion. But herein, I'm going to end with this. We look at what Gayatri Spivak says, strategic essentialism, where we may disagree and it is a heterogeneous group, the women's movement in India. But we should agree on one thing that any kind of an abortion which is gender discriminatory, whether it is for any reason, that should not be allowed. And we should all agree that women's rights over their bodies include the fact that there should not be any sex selection or gender bias sex selection. So thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Vijayalakshmi Nanda for this excellent uh, presentation on something which was so poignantly um, involving all of us in the struggle. And, um, you know, uh, I just, before I open it for discussion, I want to bring to your notice also uh, the conversation I had with my mother. I asked her once uh, that, mommy, just tell me in your times, how did you, how did you all practice female infanticide? I asked her and then she tells me, you know, that there was this plant in which you pluck the leaves and that white uh, juice comes out. So she, she says when the girl is to be born, we used to put the juice in her uh, mouth. So she's talking about the, you know, the women elders in the house, in the, in the family. And then they would say, you know, that, uh, you know, uh, uh, they would tell the girl in Bhojpuri, Aage Jatu, 
that you please go now and send uh, a brother. I, you know, and also we have Atharva Veda which says, grant here a boy, girl somewhere else. So, so this thing, you know, we're talking about sex selective abortion and discrimination is actually value loaded. It's been there for centuries. And you mentioned about the data and the politics and the polemics and the dilemmas, I think so brilliantly. Uh, you know, uh, so um, as I open for discussion, uh, you know, I would uh, rather say if there are some friends like Simi and all who want to contribute to it. And um, towards the end, we'll have surely Govindji also come in. And uh, so and I, I think I'll open it for discussion now and we'll come back to it later. Uh, Arjun? But I think uh, if Professor Kelkar is there. Yes. Because she had to go somewhere, ma'am. Okay, sure, sure. We, we can have her. Sure, we can have her comments and then we open it for discussion. Yeah. Govind, ma'am, if you're there. No, not an issue. Huh? So, I think you can go. Then, then Ritika uh, Anshula. Punya is also here. Uh, let us select all the, sir, we can have club the questions. Then I think uh, yes. Dr. Nanda can answer. Right. Yes, Thank you. Thank you very much, Professor Nanda and uh, Dr. Indu Prakash for setting the tone of uh, the session. And um, during your presentation, ma'am, and uh, during uh, Indu sir's uh, initial remarks, I literally had uh, chills uh, and uh, I could feel the, you know, the pain and uh, the entire passionate uh, arguments that you are trying to bring in. Um, I don't know. Uh, until when can we see a fulfilled society where uh, the crimes as um, uh, female infanticide and female feticide, uh, it is uh, totally eradicated from this planet. Um, I am optimistic, but uh, I, I really want to see this during my lifetime. Uh, let's see where we go. Uh, Ma'am, uh, so uh, when you say that child sex ratio is declining, uh, you know, for for over a period of time it is a pattern now um, but we have also committed ourselves to the attainment of sdgs uh, and one of the sdgs also says that protection of uh, rights of women and equality and uh, one of the targets says uh, you know uh, child sex ratio balanced child sex ratio etc etc so if we have committed on, uh, committed to this attainment on the one hand um, and we are still uh, experiencing a decline in child sex ratio, do you think that we are being too aspirational? Um, and uh, in this, uh, this further has uh, in its implications in the, on the global gender index, you know, um, overall, because uh, as children grow up and then it is incorporated into this index. Uh, would, ch would change in gender norms itself suffice? Would this, which gender norms, which uh, Professor Kelker had mentioned in the beginning, would it be uh, sufficient enough? Or uh, what is the way forward? And uh, ma'am, one more thing. Uh, in the US, there is a continuous uh, movement about you know right right to female's own body uh, right to women for her on her own body and in fact it is one of the election agenda also uh, in this time uh, do you do you think that in india we are at least fortunate enough or may uh, correct me if i am wrong i want to be uh, corrected that uh, in india there is no such political stand which opposes 
this uh, right to females body in fact uh, it has all the political parties have the societal uh, influences of course but politically at least we are um, fortunate vis-a-vis uh, -vis the united states so this is my initial few remarks and my questions ma'am um, do you want me to answer you first or uh, uh, i think we can we can take the questions uh, or comments uh, together if you yes, sir yes. is it okay yeah. yes 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 arjun can you lay out the questions please yes ritika yeah. i think ritika acha Rit ritika Rithika, oh, we please. also have Punia. Punia is a student at Tish. She will also ask. But okay. Rithika, yeah, yeah. then Anshula. Yes, then I will. I will call it. Ed. Yeah, sure, sure. Okay. Please go ahead. Hello, hi, ma'am. This was a very good presentation. My question to you is: We are having population regulation bill in this country, which was presented in this uh, recent session of Parliament also. Uh, I just want to know your thoughts on this bill and what effect this bill will post for women, especially, and on sex-selective abortions. Yes. Uh, Anshula, and uh, followed by Punya. Anshula, your uh, thoughts and or your questions. Anshula, are you there? Okay, Punya, you can turn on your video and I'll go ahead and ask a question, please. Punya, you are on my, you are on mute. Please ah. unmute. Ah, yes. Uh, good, uh, yeah, so um, good evening. Um, it was a really uh, insightful uh, session, Professor Ananda. And I had a few questions. Uh, so the first one is, that when you, uh, when you uh, explained about how we have to look beyond the state and, uh, you know, it is essential for uh, big corporations or uh, like how you mentioned that Google has to come into place or other big corporations has helped. So my question is that uh, if at all um, women do actually, you know, uh, if at all the the processes and if at all the women know all kinds of stuff and do women uh, know about the autonomy of their rights? Um, this is first question. And the second question uh, is, uh, I'm sorry if it's not, uh, if it's not well uh, asked. And the, uh, and the second question is that, um, like uh, most often we think of state as a masculine uh, way of exercising power. So when we, uh, when you said that, uh, you know, um, like looking uh, at the state, so how proactive, like, uh, is the role of state in the ground? Um, I hope uh, I could explain my question. Thank you. I hope I won't forget those questions. I, I want to remember them all and answer them. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ma'am, in that case, ma'am, in that case, if you want to answer now, you can. Because they are very, very significant questions, very well formulated by a set of scholars who I think are working on the issues, uh, and uh, so therefore I'll I'll go first with uh, Simi's uh, points, uh, Dr. Simi Mehta's points, uh, where uh, I think we were looking at the larger context of uh, of one is of course I did try to find a certain uh, you know, kind of 
a way forward if i may say so that there is a way forward and we can engage with assets with with kind of looking at how we can enhance women's rights especially right to property right to other kinds of rights that we are talking about but uh, is the state uh, uh, yes also the us uh, now it's a very interesting book that is written by sital kalantri where she studied uh, and i don't know how many of you have looked at her work where she looked at uh, sex uh, the discourse around sex selection in the us and she said that they made uh, sex determination a crime for in certain states for uh, south asian community by saying that uh, they are culturally in a in a context of sun preference and therefore they should not be allowed and kalantri raises that as a question because she says well yes there is a certain sun preference or daughter aversion in india or in china and we can engage with that but there is no evidence to show that uh, that this is impacting the population which is there in the us and and also whether the us needs to look closely at its at its own patriarchal regressive policies around abortion and and it is important that they should study that is why i say that you know you need to look at the trans transnational cycles of vulnerability women's bodies in india it, you know where pro choice becomes anti women because you have gender bias sex selection in the us it is just not getting giving them the right to abortion having said that uh, uh, you know are we are we a more uh, we are progressive are we liberal i mean yes definitely there has been some engagement of women's movements with the state leading to a uh, 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 limited medical right to abortion to medical abortion but some of our medical abortion laws the medical termination of pregnancy act 1971 the trajectory was not so much about women's rights it was about the population uh, you know control so it it the, the fact is that uh, in order to give out a certain way of family planning it was felt that abortion should be made liberal so that is from where the trajectory came so we did have abortion a limited medical right to abortion which came in through the trajectory of a population you know control kind of a lobby but this is not to say that it is not it is not there for us and this is why the feminist struck the women's movements in india always want to keep it separate so the mpp act of 1971 and the pndt act of 1994 96 and now of course 2000 amendments with the tcp ndt both of them have been kept separate and there has been no overlap over the right to abortion therein i must say that the indian state in that sense has been in some sense uh, neutral enough fragmented enough to allow the voices to come to so there has been some form of democratic whatever it is i mean there is all we always label the state uh, you know all blame at the at the door of the state but i would say 1970s or or even later on in the 1990s or the 2000s or even now i mean i must say with the prime minister coming and uh, and on right uh, is talking about beti bachao beti padhao for that matter making it his flagship campaign there is a certain approach uh, that i must say is is a supportive one it is a proactive one but having said that you know we always think the state is about the policy the policy in india whatever policies whether you take a look at the justice verma committee report or you take a look at all the laws that have been made over time the pcpndt act again i said a comprehensive piece of legislation enough space looking at women's agency engaging with everything that is there india is a legal paradise 
but ultimately what do we face we face problems at the level of individual mindset and that mindset could be that of the bureaucrat it could be that of the judge it could be that of a teacher it could be that of a policy maker somewhere we have not been able to separate that the the frameworks and you are very correct to say that why why can't we see this this is such an amazing i mean when you talk about child care leave to any american they will tell you my god you have such a liberal policy but it is at that level that we need so the the laws have come in but the societal readiness and when i say societal readiness or the policy readiness even among so there is there is a need for a gender sensitive training for policy makers also especially for bureaucrats who are carrying out the law we place all everything at the doorstep of the politician or the minister but i have faced and largely in mithu's case we have faced it from uh, from the middle ranking bureaucrats we have faced it from lower courts uh, judges so you know and and lawyers so it is at that level or doctors you know it is at that level that one needs a larger engagement and somewhere it is not seen as uh, uh, you know it is not seen as interesting enough or it is not seen as saleable enough to discuss all this because this is the mindset that needs to change that kind of a ideological consciousness which is there in the bureaucrats who are actually implementing the law if that comes about i would say that that would be and yes i agree with you that in the us the right to control over one's body is about their regressive laws on abortion and india definitely has a much better much uh, more uh, you can say a, a kind of a liberal right to abortion uh, we of course need greater access to safe abortion and we also need uh, uh, need to have uh, uh, have a uh, you know need to separate it and look at uh, you know gender discrimination especially when it is sex selective abortion that cannot happen but of course abortion right women's control like i think i think menon perhaps says that uh, uh, in a perfect world there would be no abortion but it, this is not a perfect world it's an imperfect world where women have no control over their bodies therefore they need to have abortion as a choice and until you have unmet uh, you know uh, unmet uh, kind of choice needs unmet needs for reproduction uh, for uh, for family planning for fertility control until then this is needed and it is the choice of the woman but these are the questions that i think i hope i have answered your question then to the next question from ritika is it ritika so ritika your questions uh, the first set of questions around sustainable development goals was that the question no uh, it's about population regulation bill population regulation bill is a private member bill and i think it is being it's not it has not come in from a larger lobby it's a private member bill and i think uh, a number of uh, civil society agencies are already looking at it and they are engaging with it because like i said we need to look at these contradictions that uh, and th those contradictions need to be clearly laid down that whether it is empowering whether it will actually or is it just about numbers so the distinction between demographic which is like just correcting numbers or substantive justice why in mithu's case we always failed because somewhere they saw her as as you know the strong woman she's a doctor she has she has all the money she was not fitting into the poster girl of of a victim that was a problem because her daughters were alive she was alive and now that she's gone there is no story again because the story is over she died not not nobody murdered her but you don't see what happened to her she was victimized she was a survivor but being a survivor you don't fit into the mold of being being rescued 
and that's a problem that uh, we always and, and we like you know it, right at the beginning she told me she says maybe when i die but i i if i could tell her i would say even after death there is no answer to this because how do you look at these contradictions the fact is it's only you see a person as a victim only after a particular kind of a horrifying crime happens but you don't really see the subtle forms of discrimination that happens throughout your lives and this is where we need to bring in more empowering policy so i think the private member bill that has come up population regulation that is being looked at very clearly and they were going to examine the contradictions i don't think uh, i'm really worried about that but yes uh, along with that we need to look at the gender norms i think those were simi's questions around gender norms and sustainable development are we being too aspirational of course we are being aspirational we should be what else can we be i mean of course female infanticide let me tell you happened only in a certain pocket but now you are looking at uh, because this is such a sanitized crime a uh, sex selection or sex selective abortion in sex selection there is no death also there is no murder so to say uh, in sex selective abortion also we don't see it as murder it is not murder it is a sanitized crime so when you are looking at a sanitized crime then it has spread everywhere you are also seeing some some of it in uh, tribal regions where earlier there was no sun preference because of this uh, where uh, where uh, uh, supply is propelling demand i think it's the murphy's law in economics where supply the supply of new reproductive technologies we will get a scan to your home and we will find out whether you are going to you know then you know and abortion can be an indigenous method so this is also an area that need to be looked at the nexus between capitalist patriarchy global capitalist patriarchy not just global capitalist patriarchy and a sun preference so areas like in orissa i have we had not seen any female infanticide but sex selection happened now look at the numbers look at the numbers in places like you know, never expected odisha west bengal assam to show or nagaland to show us declining child sex ratio so this is the way in which you need to look at it punya's questions uh, punya could you just uh, there were two very important questions but just revisit it again just kind of remind me uh, the two um, yes yes Uh, so uh, the first question is that uh, uh, when you uh, spoke about we have to look at the state and we have to uh, you know uh, the proactive role of state. So uh, I uh, wanted to ask that how often does the state function in a masculine way uh, in order to you know for a woman's uh, right or for a woman's body or how how often does a state do that? efficiently that's my first question and uh, my second question is that um one second uh, so uh, when you also said that we have we go beyond the state so um i wanted to ask that most often when we go beyond the state so there are big corporations and um, like yeah yeah i got that i got that and now i remembered i'm sorry i didn't jot down i'm trying to toggle it with my admission process in uh, the college so i'm sorry about that so uh, what uh, uh, the first question that you are asking is is that uh, you know the the engagement that is there with the state now i would li not like to say this is a very this is the radical feminist position the state is male and that the gaze of the state is male uh, but i would say the state is neutral in every sense of the term it is neutral uh, but it is dominant it, it it will reflect the dominant gaze it will reflect the dominant gaze and the dominant gaze uh, 
whether masculinist or uh, or uh, uh, i wouldn't say it's patriarchal but whether uh, it will reflect what the society feels about women so women are litigants they are supplicants they are they are beneficiaries not in a bad sort of way but you know in a welfareist mode women and child development it's always that right it is it is a question of seeing women as beneficiaries so the state has engaged with women in different ways so when you do not fit into that when you don't fit into any of those roles then you will be seen as disorderly you will not fit into that story and that is what happened with mithu kurana she didn't fit into the story of what what the gaze is and i would see when i say the state i don't mean the particular government or anybody at it could be the state in a not in a monolith but in in the way in which we understand the state from a political theory perspective a government a governmentality of fuko so that is how you understand it wherever there is a power element whether it is in the state or it is in an educational institution or it is in a tiny school or a hamlet somewhere that particular gaze is the same so she did fit so you don't fit in so that gaze will remain until and unless there is far more gender sensitivity far more gender awareness and that has to be at every level so just like governmentality is flowing in the capillaries you know how power is flowing in the capillaries that is how equality has to flow whether that is possible or not i see that within within certain movements i see that in certain policy makers and we have seen some very good bureaucrats who have carried forward very good policies also we have seen justice varma committee report can't get better than that that kind of a wonderful report or for that matter the beti bachao beti padhao campaign which is also you know you could say it it looks like it could have been made by by a feminist for that matter in the way in which it is structured so i wouldn't say i mean one has to also move away from reductionist approaches about the state and it's important why we critique to move away from reductionist approaches so that's my answer to you so i wouldn't say the state is male that's a very radical feminist approach i would say that the state reflects the power structures which are present in the so for the state to reflect equality it's it's a huge huge kind of you know that kind of a democratic decentralization that kind of an equality principle non hierarchical systems even in your own little circle of uh, let's say even in an ngo there is so much power relationships you can't say it's not there or even within within the most uh, the most beautiful of movements there are their power relationships so how do you engage with power is the question and that is what we need to look at we need to do, look at more non hierarchical systems it's going to take some time but i don't think that makes it any less worthy that struggle we need to keep that so that is my answer and the second uh, point that you have raised is about the corporate sectors now again any corporate sector is not here for a social responsibility social responsibility is an add on it's like add gender and stir they are here for profit so the struggle with google for advertising sex selection it was there on their ads took place with sabu george as one of the litigants and they were able to i think move, remove those ads so continuous pressure uh, from lobbies who are uh, who believe in equal rights uh, you can call them feminist you can there are many who may not want to be called a feminist they are all welcome larger umbrella is necessary but corporate sectors are going to think of profit but how are you going to make them more gender sensitive and friendly is our business and new reproductive technologies have come in from the us uh, they have all come in and they korea and other places have made them so efficacious 
you are not finding the same things for covid but you found that for sex selective abortion imagine so look at the way in which the market is also free you know the, like i said demand has propelled supply in odisha let me tell you induji in odisha there was never any female infanticide but with sex selection with this kind of technology that camera se photo le lo pata chal jata hai because sun preference is universal in india so now that there is a sanitized thing these uh, middlemen would come to homes and they would be able to select uh, you know tell you that okay you are going this is the female fetus and then that's it that's the end of the story that that is the uh, then then you are definitely looking at a market a huge market and it is globally ordered that is why i find it problematic when uh, when the us makes uh, you know start stigmatizing south asian community for being uh, you know culturally backward or being gender insensitive because part of it is coming from there and i am going to stop here but i would recommend you to read a, a book written by amin malof uh, amin malof is a lebanese writer he wrote, wrote a book called the first century after beatrice it is about this uh, sex selective uh, it is about sex selection about how something that is uh, you know made in a consumerist capitalist market and then it is used uh, in a south asian context and how that changes the sex ratio of the world so there are more uh, men masculinized uh, populations on one side of the globe and uh, and and women on another side and how violence then occurs so somebody did i think uh, somebody uh, it was dr arun kerketa or somebody who asked what are the consequences of declining child sex ratio one of the consequence of course is that you have missing women and more violent societies and also that one uh, the for the fact that there are lesser women in one part of the country you are actually buying women from another part of the country so you know you uh, a daughter is dis uh, discriminated and eliminated and a bride is bought so like madhya pradesh and other parts you have women chatisgarh odisha brought to haryana or uh, or other parts of uh, where there, there is a declining child sex ratio no women to marry so called so how that also continues to impact women uh, in both ways the consequences are great violence against women uh but yes a larger consequence on the society i don't want to use it as in a utilitarian way because we don't need women just because they are men need to marry them that's not the question we need women have a constitutional right to be born and to have a life of their choice that's the only reason why they should be there it's equal rights so yes in that sense and also it's an ethical question it's an ethical question and that needs to be looked at yes i hope that answers all the questions that i asked that were asked yes yes right yes, i think yeah yeah can myself and anshula also quickly ask a question anshula you can go first uh you can unmute yes yeah uh so uh my mine is a more general sort of question and when we are looking in terms of the way forward we, we are trying to map out a way forward for this are there any um, lessons that we can learn from other developing countries in how they are uh, tackling uh, sex selective abortions or girl child discrimination and uh, a, a second part of this question would be uh, when we are trying to tackle this in india what 
difference would there be in the approaches we take for uh, different actors of the society, as policymakers, as the general population, as corporations, etc. And within the population also, what difference would there be in the approach uh, in terms of, say, rural and urban areas or segments of the population that are disparate in terms of their economic situation? I'll, I'll just pick up on the rural and urban. See, earlier should on... I also, ma'am, should I also add, just for the time? Yes. I also have some because I, uh, I also uh, work on urban studies. So uh, let me first congratulate for a very insightful, despite some glitches, but quickly we have been able to do this. All thanks to Indusar. And uh, ma'am, I really wanted to flag some of the issues from the policy and data point of view, which... Uh, uh, I have been researching, all my, our team has been researching. Uh, what uh, we have uh, found that there are also differences in, chi uh, in child sex ratio, especially pertaining to villages, uh, small towns, and you know, then the big towns. Of course, in villages, the, the child sex ratio is good. Uh, and, uh, and also the normal sex ratio is also good because many of the male migrants, you know, they migrate to the cities and, and hence in, you know, in, 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 in cities, the sex ratio is skewed. Uh, but uh, the problem really gets very accentuated when we look at the same uh, from the terms from the terms of a child sex ratio. And uh, other thing which we found we did some human development study in Dadra Nagar Haveli, many states. There we found that when we followed that where it is happening, then we found that the abortion is not happening in the same city or let us say the same area. Uh, so people are uh, really, I would say, very coming for this selection, but they are also changing and, you know, switching places and, and doing that. Uh, other than that, uh, I really wanted to have two, two, two important uh, uh, things that uh, uh, the administrative data also, all the DES Directorate of Economics and Statistics, be it any state government uh, or union territory, uh, are now very vigil, especially on the account of IMR and MMR, uh, so on and so forth that uh, we, as a researcher, we have had many meetings when they report that uh, they report that that the uh, the numbers are really good in the in the, in their databases, and they they say that they track each and every cases of search for IMR MMR. What, what has been your experience? What would you like to add on this part, and how this glitch can be uh, can be really plugged? One last question, ma'am. Uh, really, uh, United Kingdom and some European nations have uh, really relaxed their laws pertaining to abortion, especially uh, given this pandemic. In India, you know, the, our debate is so so at the very initial stages that it has not matured. Uh, so what do you think uh, should be, but especially that is required in, in our urban spaces, advanced spaces, especially in Delhi and other places. What do you think should happen uh, going forward toward these laws? And, and what, what can be the levers or tools that, that gives teeth to, to these kind of our laws or schemes or policy towards this? Should it be economic? Should it be uh, incentivized or should it be counseling? What it should be so that uh, especially we have some control over that, effective control. I think I would stop here, ma'am. You can choose the question in the interest of time. Yes. Thank you once again. I don't know whether I have answers for all of them, but they are very, nonetheless, they are very intelligent questions, very academically and very nuanced questions. But I don't know whether I have many nuanced answers to that. So Anshula, uh, your questions around the fact that, uh, you know, uh, uh, which is the countries that we can learn from? Definitely South Korea, especially its importance, not just on the implementation of gender-biased sex selection, 
the laws but also looking at um, uh, senior citizens care looking at uh, social security uh, and then moving away from this idea that the children will be the bearer you know they will be the they will be responsible for their parents a large um, uh, one of the reasons that that keeps coming up as as a reason for son preference and daughter aversion not so much daughter aversion but son preference is that the sons do take care of their parents and the answer to that always is that daughters are better caregivers but that should not be the answer the answer should be to say that relationship between parents and children should be one of mutual reciprocity and love and there should be social care and security and all of that that can make their lives better that everyone should be supported and south korea has done that and that led to a difference in their sex ratio there was a turnaround in in an, an improvement in their sex ratio they were as bad as us but they have improved so i would say that that is a learning whether we can look at aging as a major way the other ways in which south korea and uh, mostly south korea because the turnaround is mostly there but if you look within india also you find some examples as to things that have improved i mean of course punjab and haryana were the worst 2001 uh, census but by 2011 they improved because they had been given that distinction of being the worst state so they were dubbed they were questioned so they did try to improve and therein they brought in implementation of the law and certain bureaucrats did work very hard to bring about a certain uh, emphasis on girl child education and girl child health so that that led to some changes some kind and also there was a lot of promotion around this issue so i would say some of these things have helped but how should we proceed with it one is that i don't think there is enough awareness and i think there is not enough awareness even on beti bachao beti padhao Uh, to look at this because most people think that it is about just girl child education and i my studies and i will again link it up with the question that you asked lately i am doing a icssr study with a group of us where we are looking at uh, gender discrimination from declining child sex ratio and violence against women we noticed that the beti bachao beti padhao campaign has led to a certain improvement in the emphasis on girl child education there is a lot of emphasis on girl child education there is certain there's something to be said about it and it does uh, but there is again a lot of focus on the fact that the girl has to prove herself worthy there's a focus it's not an entitlement your life your right to life is not an entitlement so the societal understanding of this of beti bachao is that you have to since hum aapko padha rahe hain to aap acche se padho nahi to aapka worth nahi hai so this whole idea of how women are seen as utilitarian you know so seen from a utilitarian perspective even girls so i could see that that is also a burden on the girl child every girl child whether she is an achiever or not has a right to life so how the society understands it is a different so that social readiness who is going to bridge that gap you can't expect the policy makers to do that and that is where in education plays a major role so whether within the education within the policies we can talk a little more about gender equality talk about changing norms whether everything can be engaged with and also improvement you know bringing about uh, women into non stereotypical understanding let's say mathematics science looking at stem uh, girls and women in stem can we encourage more of that so engaging with that and looking at at and engaging with men and boys so i mean it can't really start with sex selective abortion it has to start from other things it has to start with attitudinal you know mindsets attitudes how do you engage with that 
so if if uh, and also another thing that is coming up uh, both to both your questions is insecurity about girls if all that you are reading about is this anguish about how women and girls are being raped or they are being there's so much of violence against them parents can really interpret it as if the world is unsafe for girls how do you engage with that mindset whether you need to separate the crime discourse from the equal opportunity discourse that yes there is a crime discourse there is violence against women that is coming in from a societal and how rape you know especially violence rape how that is to be engaged with but also looking at it from equal opportunities one of the larger data that we need to look at is not so i mean i i do i have all sympathy and empathy for the fact that there is great violence against women but also what one needs to engage with there is women need to i mean they are not showing up in the workforce participation you're looking at very low indicators there and that is where we should also emphasize and they are not separate the more women there are in the workforce the more women there are in the public spaces the more there is there is a critical mass uh, thing and there is more participation of women both in the panchayati raj or in the parliament you bring about a more equal society and that will start reflecting also on violence uh, in 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 reducing it or on sex selective abortion so you can't really separate that you know we'll save the girl child like we are saving the tigers that's not the idea the idea is that the girl child grows up to be a woman and like mary john always says that we are not afraid of that little pigtailed girl we are afraid of the woman or we see her that woman as a as a liability because we have to protect her some i think somebody did say you know i i don't remember who but somebody started with that that you know the i think was it professor kelkar who talked about the brother you know or was it you induji about the brother being protective about the sister so I'm how do you ha i think professor kelkar talked about yes. it so how do you engage with that and that's very important that we engage with some of these issues uh, i mean it is it is a paradox to have so many great laws it is a paradox that some of the more economically prosperous states especially the urban areas uh, and families which have all the resources in the world continue to be gender discriminatory having the highest uh, you know number of uh, you know having the lowest sex ratio in those regions but you know what has happened now because of the advent of new reproductive technologies and also because of the aspirations of uh, the rural areas to be like the urban areas you are also seeing that uh, divide which was also that, that the villages you know had a better or the rural areas had a better sex ratio even that is coming down in punjab there is not much distinction between rural and urban anymore because motorable roads more aspirations uh, you know like an upwardly mobile aspiration to have smaller families and smaller families ka matlab hai let us get rid of the girl child she is most dispensable most disposable so why not have smaller families and i believe there was a study again by a dear friend who is also not here anymore uh, dr manmohan sharma uh, who is from the volunteer yes. association punjab everybody had only one son in the family so they didn't even want a second son so the small family norm was acting in such a way that uh, sex selection and yes if there is implementation of the law in certain areas more stringent then they move to the neighboring areas for abortion like i always say abortion is an indigenous method they will find their own ways of doing it also it is sex selection that needs to be stopped and now alternative medical practitioners are also offering it not to say that they have they don't 
offer good things. They offer a lot of very good things to us. And I have, I'm, I'm all in belief in alternative medical practices coming in from indigenous knowledge, but it should not be gender discriminatory. And that's the question that should be raised. Uh, I, I don't know whether I answered all your questions, but I tried to. Uh, and uh, in terms of the urban Levite and also the rural, you know, breaking it down, do take a look. It has, it has come since 2011 to now, uh, 2000, from 2001 to 2011, that gap has decreased. They are, they are, they are learning uh, the, new, the practices of the urban areas and that widespread, uh, you know, roads have been made. So, so you know, with, with modernization, even these uh, gender discriminatory practices have moved there. So, and small family norms also at the cost of the girl child. While we should have small families for, for a, in, coming in through, uh, you know, an equal understanding of what family life should be, not pressurizing the women for more childbirths and not bringing about maternal mortality or infant mortality. It should not be again at the cost of the girl child, not through gender bias sex selection. And this is where we need to engage. Yes, thank you. Thank you, ma'am. <laughs> I think that one thing which I keep on saying that uh, because all these measures, you know, uh, our governments have been taking for several decades now. It's not uh, just uh, uh, we really at Impri want to focus that uh, women really should have equal partnership in market, uh, not just, you know, just the Sarkari or government job, uh, but really in market all sphere, uh, uh, then only this thing can be, you know, eliminated f for once and all. And, and property rights. Like not every family has property to pass on. So we should encourage more collective ownership of, yes. uh, of uh, property, of farms. I mean, Bina Agarwal has written about it. And uh, so I don't want to, you know. Uh, I, I work on housing, but what I see that in assets when women have, it is also for namesake. That many example from Bihar and other places do come that in Panchayat, uh, a woman is the Sarpanch, but Sarpanch is the Sarpanch. Yeah, Panchpati. Uh, Sarpanchpati. Panchpati. Yes, yes. Even then, I would say that let them be. Yes, yes. Let them come in. Let it at least be in their name. There is something to even those titles. I yes, know people keep repeating it, but my point is let it be there. At least in some ways, you are acknowledging slow. That mentality will continue, but some of these women came forward and did some great things also. If you take yes, a look yes. at Maharashtra, Rajasthan, slowly and steadily they moved out of their shadows. And that is there for a lot of political people who come into power. They come in with the support of someone, but later on they... So we somehow see it in a gendered stereotype, Satpan Chepati, but I would again say that her biggest resource is her spouse, so she's probably, they are trying to do it, but maybe... It is still a space to be explored. I know I'm not saying it. It's a very no. non-stereotypical way of saying it. But I think power sharing, uh, even in terms of just titling. But yes, you are right. I also did a lot of study around housing. And I noticed that although joint titles were provided, it was still seen as the man's house. It was never seen as the woman's house. But still, he had that. Uh, it was still there on that paper. Uh, and it is it is an important uh, you know, these are things that will take very long, not in my lifetime now, I realize, uh, you know, but yet again, uh, in, in all, all your lifestyle, I know, lifetime, I'm sure there will be changes. There have been some changes, 
and yes there is improvement in places like mahindragarh for example there's been some improvement i did take a look at the latest census and they are reporting but until the census reports come in i cannot comment on the data because uh, how much of that is reliable data we will only find out when the census comes in so i i haven't i mean i am not going to give out but yes i do know that it is no longer uh, i mean certain things have changed but what has changed we i still can't capture that but yes uh, importance to girl child education is there more emphasis on employment and i agree with you it cannot just be state employment public employment but looking at the market encouraging the market to employ more women and seeing how what are the ways to do it that could be one and uh, aging looking at aging uh, as a first aging both women and men and uh, engaging at at the education level bringing about greater equality within the understanding within the education curriculum these are the things that we need and also medical ethics medical curriculum needs to look at engineering curriculum that's why i think stem is important that it has to be within science technology engineering mathematics these sciences have to become more gendered they have there has to be more understanding you and i social science we have been doing it but somewhere we are not able to make the impact till it goes there so uh, yeah i mean these are some of the engagements but uh, i think uh, uh, we we have to keep on engaging right ma'am we did a very very big uh, conference for on stem education i will share you the link many partners across the world were there with uh, texas university uh, last week and uh, we also did uh, yes did a study of on the adult tinkering lab of the niti ayog uh, so we interviewed many schools uh, within delhi uh, many girls were also there but ma'am you are right uh, uh, very less girls were there uh, in our study also fields it is also it's very so I, i mean i think we need to bring about a more uh, transdisciplinary course around stem so stems it should be s t e m s meaning that social science along with so not separating so stems i think that's how it should be till you make it stem it's not going to work so my thing would be that and uh, yeah I, i think and again i would say that uh, while i'm looking at induji i i i'm going to say that i again i we would dedicate this whole discussion to mitu and we hope to make the world a better place for her daughters and uh, that's our commitment to this presentation thank you Ab absolutely uh, dr vijaya in fact um, you know as as we come to the close of this uh, web talk i just want to share here that you know how um, one of my i think kids uh, you know um, parents we used to uh, stay at the bus stop you know to pick the kids and all and she was a gynecologist and she told me that you know um, that uh, uh, in the place that she used to practice in a community health uh, service uh, uh, she said she came across uh, one um, a lady and uh, you know uh, who wanted to do this test and they refused uh, finally she had a daughter who was born and she was crying a lot that you know well in fact ladki leke kaise karungi and all that two days later she came and uh, told that this girl uh, passed it and then she told this girl ki kya kiya tum logo ne she said wo kya karti mere saans ne maar diya usko jo she said if that was the case you could have given the doctor to me i would have at least you know taken care of her and she said induji such a beautiful child it was so so the issue is and then this was in south delhi so what also happens is like you know in terms of sex ratio and all i i you know i think we don't have the data as of now still but if we compare to delhi 
in Delhi, at least maybe the South Delhi might be having one of the most adverse sex ratios compared to other parts of Delhi as such. You know? So these are some burning issues, burning problems. And in fact, we had some fascinating discussion uh, with Dr. Vijayalakshmi Nanda. And uh, I think the best way to end this uh, web talk would be from her own book, uh, that is Sex, Selective Abortion and the State, the last uh, paragraphs of the book, uh, which says that uh, so can the effective implementation of Beti Bajao, Beti Padhao, with its emphasis on the PCPNDT Act and Education of Girls bring an improvement in countering sex at the abortion? I believe it can, provided there is a critical connection of dots with combating dowry, ensuring women's right to property, housing, land ownership, and removing gender insensitive elements from all existing government programs and policies. Uh, well, I think it goes on a bit, but the last, I think, uh, two lines is very important. I think for the talk that we had today, the last two lines is that sex ratio is an indicator of the status of women. And the status of women is an indicator of the state of the country. And the time to act, therefore, is now. So I suppose, you know, it will be a right tribute in the memory of um, Dr. Meetu Kurana to carry on with this struggle. I know Meetu is not there, but in spirit, she's there to guide us. Uh, well, we miss Meetu. We love you. And we know that you'll be guiding us in this work. And uh, thank, uh, thank you, Dr. Bijalakshminanda, for being with us in this very, very crucial talk. And uh, I can just say Zindabad for sharing this important uh, you know, session with us. Thank you. Thank you, Indra, sir. Thank you, uh, Professor Nanda, for uh, uh, sharing your thoughts on such uh, short notice. Uh, really exciting. And we will share uh, uh, all the events deliberation with you over WhatsApp. Uh, if anyone will try to reach out, Indu sir, I will connect them with you and Professor Nanda. Yeah, uh, sure. Thank you. Sure. Yes. And have a nice evening. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Yeah.